Welcome to the When He Speaks podcast, where we talk to preachers about the tough questions. Here's your host, Austin Halpern. Welcome to the Winnie Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Austin Holcomb, and today I have here with me Brother James Jeffrey. Hello. <laughs> so those of you who don't know, me and Brother James go way back just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You're almost a toddler. Almost. For those of you to, <laughs> out there that want to know, he actually picked me as his son-in-law from the age of, what was it now? I believe you were eight. I, I believe it was somewhere around there. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, it was pretty close to your birthday, so you could have been seven, but I think you were eight. Yeah. And it's crazy. Look at us now, almost <laughs> 20 years later, and I'm actually your son-in-law. Yes, you're actually my son-in-law. And uh, honestly, you know, I've regretted that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so no. I thought, you know, who else better to be my first test subject on this here podcast than my own father-in-law well i'm honored to be the first uh, the first test subject <laughs> i uh I, f- I feel a little bit like a lab rat <laughs> hey it's a learning experience we're we're gonna get through it though that's right my man and i'm let me just say austin i you know in in life sometimes things uh, don't go the way you plan i really am glad that this went the way i planned when you were eight years old i can't imagine you know, at this point, you know, any anybody else being, you know, who you are to us, and it just means a lot to me. And uh, and what an opportunity, you know, you've got here. This is a great thing, and we're very excited. And I'm 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 proud to be a part of the first one. I appreciate that. Uh, so let's let's start off first. Uh, that so you you pastor at Mud Creek Baptist Church, right? I do, and uh, you know those. For anybody out there that might be listening that would that doesn't know where that's at, uh, it used to be called Hollywood, Alabama. This used to be zoned in Hollywood, and a, a few years ago, the city of Stevenson came down, annexed this portion in. Uh, when I was a, I grew up up here. I lived half of my life as a youngster in this area, so I'm. I still remember when all the mail was Route One Hollywood, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's a uh, it's. It's it's pretty great to see the changes to to see how things go. So, mud, you know, Mud Creek is officially in Stevenson now. Uh, on this side of Mud Creek, uh, the church is in Stevenson, uh, but Mud Creek is really the divider between Hollywood and Stevenson. So, uh, and this this place we're in this building is. Uh, I guess the physical address is thirty one. County Road 181 in Stevenson, Alabama. Uh, but it's still the Mud Creek community, a lot of people call it. Some people refer to it. just depends on what side of the highway you're on. It could be Fackler or Rash or what side of the farm you're on. Uh, you know, you could be uh, in Wanville or, <laughs> you know, there's so many different uh, little communities and everybody kind of claims, uh, you know, homeland in a different place. Right. But, Mud Creek is really a mainstay, you know, in my life. And when we started this up here, there just wasn't any doubt what we were going to call it. I mean, trying to find a name for the place wasn't very difficult. Uh, it was easy to to lay hold of that. 
Yeah. Well, I, 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 as being part of this church, I mean, I, I feel that it's the most homey feeling church that I've ever been a part of. And I, I can, I can say that with full, full confidence that this church has felt the most like a home experience that I've ever had as far as a church goes. Yeah. And that goes for me too. You know, uh, for people who who don't know who I am, you know, personally, uh, I'm like everybody else. You hear good, you hear bad, you know, there'll be some, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to everything you hear uh, where I'm concerned. Uh, that's kind of the attitude that, right. I, that I brought to this place when, when the Lord put it on our heart to, to really build it and begin working here and set up, you know, this ministry. I, I think that resonates with people. You it know, most they, definitely does. They, they, they're they looking for people who have to go through life the same way they do, and that's what Mud Creek's all about. You know, in, in the scripture, it's it, you know, when uh, Jesus sent, or excuse me, John the Baptist sent his two disciples to Jesus, uh, you know, sh- should we... Should we look for another, or are you the, the the promised Messiah? Well, you know Jesus sent back. You know, look at all the stuff you've seen. Uh, and when they went back and reported back to John the Baptist, he said those famous words, "I must decrease that he might increase." So, uh, a few years ago, a mentor of mine, Dr. Craig Edwards from Mount Airy, North Carolina, he he uh, started this this movement. I guess it was it was just me and him, I think, to begin with. But uh, what happens when you make much of Jesus? The first thing you got to do is make less of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that goes a long way to making people feel comfortable. You know, the drawback to that is sometimes they feel a little too, too comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm – we we desire to, to to have a place where people could come. It, it really needs to be a refuge for the broken. Uh, you can come here. You can be at odds with anybody in the room. You can be at odds with me. You still should feel welcome, you know, in inside the, the walls of the church. And that's as long as you uh, you're not coming here to. You know, the only agenda at Mud Creek is. You know, the Lord's agenda, and we're we're not here to argue about what you believe. We're not here to argue about your politics or your football team. Uh, we may crack a few jokes, but what we're here to do is just to love you, to offer you the opportunity to have a community and a and fellowship with other believers. And you know, we're going to preach the Bible. We're going to teach the Bible. I'm staying away from a lot of things that you know I was taught to stand you know to to sound the horn <laughs> right. you know and set off the alarm and really pound things into people's heads those uh, i had to learn that if i was really going to minister to people right where they are john four you know with the woman at the well other places jesus met people where they were at and he offered them an opportunity to find help and hope and in, in in their broken world you know, the world's always been broken ever since the fall of, of Adam. Mm-hmm. The world has been a broken place. So every period of time, you know, that you go through in the scriptures, 
It's brokenness. Brokenness abounds, and it abounds today. And people are no different today than they were two millennia ago when Christ walked the earth. And this is a what an awesome opportunity to, uh, as Coach Hollis put it to me, to be a part of something grassroots. Uh, and it took a few weeks for that to, you know, to really settle in my mind that this is a grassroots thing. Something so simple and so unique has now become something new. And yeah. It's really, this is really just a return, you know, to the, to the foundations of our faith and our, and our Christ and our Christian walk. And, you know, I, I remember when we started this, I, I remember sitting outside the front door, you know, the first, very first sanctuary. I think we had about 300 square feet to work with. On, a, on the high end. On the high end. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you sitting on the tailgate and uh, me offering you a key and you had a decision to make. And I'm very thankful that you made that you made the choice you made. Uh, I hope I have, I made that promise to you then. This would be a place where we've made much of Jesus and less of ourselves. And that's exactly what we've tried to do. And I say that all the time. And I feel like just our rapid growth is showing that, that we are making much of Jesus because, you know, doing stuff for us only carries us so far. And, and whenever you put Jesus first, you know, people start seeing that and they want to be a part of something different, something that they haven't been seeing out in the world here much anymore. You know, and that's, that's exactly the, the point that I've been trying to tell people. I think the idea of, you know, your grandfather, Brother Ed, uh, slid me a note one time on the front row of Pathway Baptist Church, and I have never forgotten it. J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's the true key to joy is putting Jesus first and putting others ahead of yourself. Um, Coming to grips with the fact that every once in a while you kind of got to – we live in a world where it's hard to love everybody. Uh, it's yes. and it's even harder to like everybody. It, it's hard for everybody to love. I mean, I, I had to come to terms with the fact that not everybody was going to love me. Not everybody, and even more of those people were not going to like me. Yeah, uh, there are people who sit in the pews on Sunday that may have, they may disagree with me, they may not like something that I did or I said. They may not like the way that I did it or said it, and that's fine. You know, uh, there are certainly people that sit in the pews every Sunday. You know, I don't, I wouldn't, if I knew everything about them, I wouldn't agree with everything they did or said. Or, you know, we all have differences. Exactly. We all have our own opinions. We all have our own biases, prejudices. Uh, but getting past that and getting to Jesus is the hardest thing for a carnal, you know, and we are carnal. That's the hardest thing to do. And just kind of opening up. Somebody told me a few months ago, well, it's been over a year ago, I guess now seems like just a few months ago. It's been so fast. The part of the reason they feel drawn 
to this ministry was because of how open I am uh, and how I allow people to get close to me. And in doing that, I open myself up for a lot of attacks. Because uh, when people get their feelings hurt, they are not afraid to drag everything that you have shared with them in an effort to help them. They're not afraid to use it against you. But that's also another good thing about being open yes. is that that one thing that they know yes. with you, if you're open about it, then everybody else already knows that. So it's not like it's some unknown secret. So well, that's always good. What I'm about to say is terrible, but I mean, it's just part of who I've become. It's kind of like Eminem at the end of eight mile and he has the microphone to Papa Doc and says here, tell these people something they don't know about me. And when you, when you get to that place where I'm okay, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know who I was. I know who I am. Uh, I got to stand at the judgment seat of Christ someday, give an account for myself. Um, and I'm thankful for the promise that all my good, all my deeds, both good and evil will be <laughs> piled up there and they'll all be burned. All my works will be burned. Every, everything yet I will remain. And what a, you know, you, you can't grow if you're not looking at the end. Uh, you can't lead if you're constantly looking around. You can't go forward. Yeah. And, you know, that's difficult for me as a leader because I'm trying to think about everybody. I'm trying to worry about everybody. I'm trying to pray for everybody. I can't remember to call everybody. Uh, you know, and it's it's difficult. Uh, and you, you say the rapid growth. I mean, we've had over 200 people. I kind of sat down and wrote down all the names that I could remember that of people who came and stayed and people who came and stayed a little while and people who came and never came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have had over 200 people, you know, at least be a return visitor, you know, the, just more than one time. Uh, and we're averaging now 90. And if And if our regular attendees, if they all showed up at the same time, we would have probably about 150 in the house. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, you know, that stuff doesn't happen because, you act better than everybody else or you thump them over the head. Uh, I remember who I was. I know who I was. I know who I am. I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable now. Uh, you know, you just get to a place in life where, you know, you just got to be okay being you. Yeah. And when you get there, it's very, it's very refreshing, but that doesn't mean your troubles go away. But it do, it does give you a like a platform, a springboard, I guess you could call it. Uh, but you know something else, Austin is you also don't grow by yourself. This didn't this didn't happen because of me. Uh, the Lord, you know, he not he did he blessed us with vision and he gave us opportunity and he gave us some support um, and he sent people. He used people to to do that with. But as we, you know, once it kind of took started, it didn't take off immediately. No. You know, we, we went from, you know, our first sanctuary had 48 chairs in it. And we passed that up in 10 weeks. Uh, but after that, I mean, we moved outside and we had to have outside service. In the cold. In, it was in, yeah, it was cold. 
from the third week of August to the third week of January. Uh, thank goodness uh, it stayed in the 40s, you know, and we were able to pull our curtains down outside and use those patio heaters and kind of get the temperature up and make it bearable, intolerable. But uh, it was a few Sundays we had to come in the coffee shop and have church in here. Yeah. Uh, but really, it was after the first of the year, once we finished the sanctuary, we were very excited. I mean, we were, I think we were running at that time. We grew a little bit. Uh, we had grown to about 60. And uh, some of the ladies started pushing for Sunday school, children's church. Yeah. Uh, which I was terrified of. You know, I mean, I was terrified of children's ministry. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, and I'm comfortable enough to tell you that. It sounds terrible. Uh, but I was scared to death of it. And I kept telling them no. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they kept coming. I kept saying no. <laughs> uh, not that I didn't trust them. Uh, it was more about the worry. You know, I worry about I worry about things that other people are not worried about. You know, I worry about what happens if they get sick. What happens if they have a car accident? I mean, who's going to step up? This got Once we start it, we can't stop it. So... You know, who's going to step up and do it? And then it just became apparent to me one, af- one afternoon, uh, uh, Miss Robin came and she was sitting here talking to myself and, and my wife. And she said, we've got to do this. Whether you, if you say no, we're going to go to over to the house and we'll meet over there and then we'll come over here, but we, we've got to do this. So you know, the Lord gave me a lot of peace in that moment, and I just said yes. I didn't think about it. I just said yes, okay. And once the children's church started, that's when it really, I mean, we grew from 55 average attendees to up into the, we went from 55 to 75 to 85 to 95. And, you know, there's some Sundays, you know, we'll have 120, 125 mm-hmm. people. And that's uh, and that's a good portion of those are kids as yes. well. I think we've been. I've been trying to keep up with the number you you send me every week, and because you count them from the sound booth, and uh, it's it's we've been averaging uh, about about thirty nine kids mm-hmm. per week over the last two months, uh, and it seems like in the colder months we have when in the springtime as we're coming out of the cold into the warmer, uh, the numbers kind of increase. You know, people are kind of in a dead spot with their athletics and their sports. But uh, what I found out about growing is that you can't worry about you can't worry about who's here uh, all the time, and you can't and you really can't worry about who's not here all the time. Uh, where where it, as it pertains to numbers, uh, you got to focus on what your responsibilities are to the people who did come. Uh, their faces uh, are. I hate to say it this way, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Their faces are irrelevant. It's their, it's the message is what's important. And sometimes I think I did terrible. And I'll get seven or eight messages through the week. You know, you don't know how much I needed. It was directly for me, and I think it didn't land anywhere. Yeah, you know, but that's how that's how really how you grow. You just you just be obedient to the Lord. Love people the best you can and try to be friendly, you know? Yeah, most definitely. 
So, so we've heard a little bit about your ministry now. Let's, uh, so what, what called you or what, uh, why you, why did you feel like you were called to the ministry? I'll be honest with you. When I couldn't get away from this, um, you know, yeah, well, you remember as a, as a kid, your mom or your dad would say, you know, I'm, I'm going away. I got to go down to the store. I got to go to work. Uh, when I get back, your room better be clean mm-hmm. or X, Y, Z chores better be accomplished. Right. Or this one thing, you know, we, you had one job. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what kind of happened in my heart. In 2003, April 17th, 2003, the Lord saved me. And, uh, I immediately, uh, I knew in my heart immediately that I was going to be in the ministry. Uh, now, how how I did I hear an audible voice from heaven? I, it seemed like it was audible. <laughs> it was audible to me, and but I knew immediately I was going to be in the ministry. But I had such a passion for music. Um, you know, if my mother were still alive, she would share that with you. I used to sit in my room and hours and hours. I knew every song on the radio, every artist I had. New fun facts about all of them. But I knew that I had, early on, I knew that I had a purpose. And I knew my purpose was going to be more than just, you know, sitting on a pew, uh, you know, just listening and going home. I ran from that, I'll be honest Mm -hmm. with you. I started a a bluegrass group. It was a bluegrass gospel group. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll minister, but I'll minister through music. That's what I want to do. And initially, that went really well. Yeah. <laughs> but what happened was, uh, in 2004, right around Christmas time, uh, I messed around and told a deacon of the church I was attending, Tim Clevenger. I said, man, I... I really feel like I need to be doing more. And now, unbeknownst to me, he already knew. You know, <laughs> it's like the Lord had already went and tattled on me, <laughs> saying, "Hey, he's not doing what he's supposed to be." Yes, and uh, so he he kind of I, I look back on that conversation. He kind of steered me in that direction to, to get me to open up and talk about it. And I said, "Well, you know, the Lord, I feel like the Lord wants me to do a little more." He said, "What do you mean, do a little more?" I said, "Well, I think I need to be, you know, like speaking." people like talking to people and he said about what and i said well you know about the bible and about the lord you mean preaching i said oh no 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 (laughs) absolutely not that you know he said well do you mean like a bible study and i said well you know yeah but other things too you know like you know maybe standing on a stage and addressing a group of people like preaching? No, absolutely not that. <laughs> so he goes and tells the pastor, uh, Mike Crow, where we were going. Mike calls me to his office. You know, I felt like I was in trouble. But we go in, sit down, and Brother Mike, you know, he finally got it out of me. Yeah. And 
I said, well, I'm just not not qualified, number one. Uh, you know, he helped me. He, he walked me through the scripture to help me understand that it wasn't man's job to qualify, to qualify other, other men for the ministry. It was God's job. And to say that I've been perfect, uh, do I feel qualified? Absolutely not. Uh, but I think that's part of what, you know, uh, God doesn't need. He, he he don't call qualified people. He qualifies called people. And, you know, I've heard some men preach the Bible with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And they could barely spell their name. Mm-hmm. Couldn't read a lick. But the Lord, you know, move in their hearts and lives and use them in mighty and powerful ways. So I learned that very early on that, uh, you know, I couldn't get away from it. I actually tell this to young preachers, people who are thinking about entering ministry when they call. What should I do? And I said, don't. Don't do anything. And they look at me like I'm stupid. And I say, listen, if you can get away with not doing it, don't do it. Right. Uh, and that was just it. Also, and that's how I knew I was called to the ministry is I could not get away with not preaching the gospel. It's just, I just could not get away with it. And of course, evangelism led to pastoral ministry. You know, after a while you develop a realm of influence over people and then boom, it just really goes from there. Yeah. That's it's, it's almost, it almost sounds crazy to say, don't do it, but but when you think about it, if if you get to the point where you can't not do it, that's when you know it's it can't be no other reasoning behind it except for that you're supposed to be doing that. Exactly, uh, you get okay with failing. Yeah, that's what that that's where I got to, and that's what I try to tell people now. I, you have to be okay with failing because you did, or you at least gave it everything you had, and what you felt like in your heart you were absolutely meant to do. And that's what I did, uh, and one, and if if that was the only time I'd ever got to preach was the first time, then that would have been enough, you know. But I did what what I felt like God wanted me to do, and I won't. I'll never forget after I talked to Brother Mike and and told Brother and admitted to him, I asked him to keep it a secret, <laughs> and uh, and he said I will. I said well I you know, and then uh, it came. A few months after that, we were we were sitting in a meeting. Uh, I actually was on served on a church committee, and we were sitting down going over the budget for the next year. And you know, everybody in the room kept looking at me. Well, I thought they were looking, at me. <laughs> and, and I had told Brother Mike earlier. He said we need to you need to at least tell the church and right. uh, and tell the committee, and you know, got to start somewhere. Before you before you go out and tell us, I said, well, I can't tell them, Brother Mike. You'll have to tell them for me. And he said, okay, I will. Well, he never he wouldn't say it. So we were we were sitting around the table, and they're all talking, and every, and I felt like everybody in the room was staring a hole through me. I finally just put both my hands on the table. Boom. And I said, okay, let's get this out. I'm called to preach. And whew, was this, <laughs> this big weight off my shoulders. Well, after a little, it's like they all laughed and they've been knowing it for a while. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing I didn't want to do, people would come up to me randomly and say, you know, the Lord, you'd make a great preacher. 
Like you, you need to hush. <laughs> this, this is absolutely not <laughs> what I want to do. Uh, the pressures of ministry were a deterrent. If anything, it was a deterrent. Uh, it, you know, the cons of being in the ministry sometimes will outweigh the pros. Yeah. If you look at it in terms of humanity and the carnal side of things, but the 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 one pro that there is not a con for is being obedient to the will of God. So once I recognized it was God's will, it was over. Yeah. You know, I had no choice and I couldn't get away with not doing it anymore. Yeah, that that's that's so true. So so I know you do a lot of studying in the Bible because you know you got to prepare for them big Sunday sermons and everything. But if you had to pick just one verse out there, just one verse that if that was the only verse you could read for the rest of your life in the Bible, what do you think that verse would be though? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. That's, I would say that's a pretty good one to pick right there. That is, I think that sums up everything, you know, and I know it's not necessarily the Lord speaking. It's not a red letter verse. Most people, you know, default to Jesus' words. But I, when when Paul wrote that to the church in Galatia, it summed up everything about the ministry and about living for Christ all in one verse. Yeah. And you know, it says everything that you need to know about my relation, his relationship toward me and my relationship toward him and how they both should be. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a very, it, it goes very much into depth in that one verse. Mm-hmm. It covers so many sections of your life. And that's something I heard very early on. You know, yeah. uh, the first time I heard it, it was like I just heard a new song. Right. You know? But it was that song. It was the kind of song that you remember the lyrics to after the first time you hear it. Just uh, that one that sticks with it's you. Just that one that stuck out to me like I I couldn't believe I'd never heard that before. Right. And I've been going to church off and on my entire life. Uh, and at that point, I'd been in church solid for, well, at the moment I heard that, I'd been in church solid for about five years. I'd never heard anybody say, you know, quote that verse, or we'd never studied that verse. And I'd, you know, I was about three years into the ministry, you know, and I wasn't getting an opportunity to preach a whole lot. I would study, but I'll be honest, I didn't know really how to study. I was just kind of, you know, giving it, just throwing it out there, right. you know, you throw it against the wall, see what sticks, and, you know, kind of go with that. And, I would go and listen to every single preacher I could listen to. They all did it so differently. Nobody did the same. Those guys were no help. Uh, but finally, you know, the Lord, the Lord, it was during a revival meeting. I'll never forget it. Uh, David Talley was preaching about the city's refuge, and he brought up about the different names and what they meant. And I went home, and I and I started to try to study that, and I'm like, how, how are these guys finding this stuff? Well, I learned, that's where I learned about commentaries, mm-hmm. uh, the Strong's number system, uh, Greek, Hebrew, linear, 
you know, studies, concordances. And, man, after that it was Katie bar the door. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, right. I couldn't ingest enough. You know, I couldn't yeah. get it. Was like, it was like I was addicted, you know, to study. My wife said she didn't even see me sometimes for days. I would come in from work and go straight to the study, and I would just have my head poked in there for five, six hours a night. Right. You know, I, I just couldn't get enough. I would think about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't wait to get home to study. Uh, but it was unique in the in the in the sense that once I heard, you know, once I heard that verse, I said, "That's it. Right. That's my verse." And uh, you know, a lot of people cling. You ask people what their favorite verse is. Uh, it's John three sixteen, John fifteen thirty one, or you know, uh, Jesus wept, or you know what I mean. It's that just, was my favorite verse as a kid because that was the easiest one to remember. <laughs> Jesus wept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there. I mean, I went to many a, a church function that I didn't have to pay for because I could remember that. <laughs> But, now, you know, now I look back on that now, and, and so I don't discourage people from, you know, f- find you something that that you can cling to, something that will help you get by until you hear something, until you find another scripture that uh, that you can cling to that will help you get by. Uh, I had to do that a few times. Yeah. Um, but once I heard Galatians 2.20, that was – it's been That's that. the one that just. It was the one, I, and I never swayed from that. It, I married that verse, and that verse married me. I put a yeah. ring on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I heard you, you were talking a little bit about the way you studied. Now, for someone like me in school, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound bra- sound like I'm bragging, but I never really studied a lot in school. I still had decent grades, good grades, but I never had to study. So. I know a lot of people when they tell you to study in the Bible that it's similar to studying for school, but how would you tell somebody like me how how do how do you start to dive into the Bible and study it? You know, we you actually came. I remember one night you called and came to the house and you wanted me to help you learn to study, and I believe I overwhelmed you that night with my methodology. Uh, if I could go back and undo that, this is this is what I would tell, you know, four or five years ago version of yourself. Find you a topic, you know, whatever's on your heart, mm-hmm. just start there. Whatever it is you're dealing with, start there. If you're dealing with anxiety or depression or you just feel insignificant or you feel alone. The Bible deals with all those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, study that out for if you're, if you're a teacher or a preacher and, uh, you're wanting to, t- you're wanting to figure out a method of study. I, I would, I would say this, uh, do I do, I do simple outlines. Uh, mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, I'll do the eyes and the double eyes and the triple eyes. You know, for sub points. I, I try not to get too complicated anymore. Right. Uh, when I was in the army, they we had the the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. 
keep it so simple that it's stupid. Well, that really applies, you know, that resonates with people because if you're, if you're getting, if you're getting over somebody else's head, most of the time you're over your own too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, I have found that, uh, I, uh, Donnie Hutchins was huge on, on synonyms. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget, you know, being in Bible college and brother Donnie would be teaching about use your synonyms. Uh, That's when I found out that you could preach the same message over and over and over again and just change the words, (laughs) you know? Uh, And it sounds, it sounds funny. Yeah. Uh, But here's what happens in the English language. Our word usage is different. Mm -hmm. So when we change the words, uh, you don't preach this. I, I say preach the same message. I, I mean, I'm, what I should have said was preach the same outline, but the message goes, will go completely different. Right. Uh, and you use the same exact outline. You know, you could be preaching a message on uh, discouragement, and by using a synonym book or just changing, you know, and, and changing your words to a, to a word that start that means something similar, but starts with uh, like like uh, anxiety and flutter. Uh, you know those those two things in the Bible mean you know something different. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you when you look up flutter, you like your heart fluttering. Okay, but in if you use if you use the word flutter in another context biblically, and especially in the Hebrew, flutter means to hover. Yeah. So, you know, like, uh, and you use the same word and it means two totally different things. You can preach the same outline, change the words. And in those, the definitions of those words and the context completely changes. So it's, you know, there's so many, it's like a, a family tree, you know? Right. I mean, you start here, you branch off to here, then that branches off to here. And the next thing you know, you've got one outline and you can preach. 35 or 40 different messages from that same outline because the outline is structured. Yeah. And then you can, and that's how you, you know, we we call it expository preaching. I think in the day that we live in Austin, that's the most beneficial kind of preaching. Uh, But I don't always preach expository. Right. Sometimes I preach topically. Uh, Sometimes it's shotgun. And it really just depends on where we're at, right? And kind of how things are going. Depends on the situation. Yes, I mean you've heard me, you've saw me witness many occasions where I had an outline and have to pull it. You just put, put it to the side. Yeah, just set it down, stick it in the back of the, my Bible, and come back to it later. Yeah. And uh, the Lord has given me some things just right off the hip. But if you notice, even those times, still mm-hmm. comes in outline form. Yeah. And it's still that same little layout. Yeah. It's just, it's coming straight from God instead of you getting it from God through the week and writing it down. Yeah, but it's That's still, the only difference. Yeah, and it still comes to my mind, even on the cuff. Even mm-hmm. on, even on when it's coming on the cuff, it still comes to my mind in outline form. It still comes on a one, two, three. Uh, that's just a, that's a system I developed over time. I didn't develop it. Somebody else developed, but I had to discipline myself. All right. 
to be able to do that. But yeah, man, that's you know, study just go with what's on your heart. Man, study the Bible for yourself. Right. Don't study the Bible to please somebody else. The the Lord is dealing with you about something. And somebody may be listening right now and they're dealing with depression or they're dealing with financial difficulties or they're dealing with uh, relationship issues, dealing with, you know, the fallout of a breakup or a divorce. Go study the Bible for yourself. Don't just, don't just, but don't close God off to just something that you heard some preacher say 20 years ago. Don't look up that one verse. Look for everything that the Bible yeah. has to say about it. That's the great thing about the internet now. You can search. Yes. Say say you're dealing with depression. Mm-hmm. Do depression verses about depression in the Bible, and it'll pull up every verse that is listed in any version. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily. I mean, the King James version is what we use, but there are other versions that are similar. Wouldn't you say that there that are sometimes easier to understand? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big. I'm I'm gonna always be. I will go to my grave being a, a King James Bible guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't start in the King James, uh, because my by the time I got saved, you know, I had been preached to all my life. You were going to hell if you didn't, you know, just throw out other trash in the in the garbage and get you a King James. I couldn't understand the King James Bible. It was hard for me to understand. And I'd pray and I'd beg and I'd get so discouraged because I didn't understand the language. Right. Uh, and when I began to study, okay, I, I started with a new American standard. That's what I, that's what I used for a long time. When I really first started reading, uh, I call it graduating. Once I graduated uh, from that and really, stu- and really Lynn learned how, once I learned how to study and I was on my own, Yeah. no, no church member taught me how to do it. No preacher taught me how to study. Nobody was willing to sit down and say, Hey, this is how I do it. I had to figure it out. And I, that's a great failure of, you know, the Western church. Yes. Yeah. We don't disciple people. Uh, that's a story for another day. But, you know, once once I realized that, okay, there's a whole lot to this. And as I, and but the study hips I had were all King James things. Right. So I had to go back to the King James once I began to study 17th century English. And I saw the differences in that language and our language, and I I started to understand why some things were a little different. Why things were hard to read, you know, the way they wrote, the way they recorded things, the way they spelled, you know, mm-hmm. their, their their usage of words was completely different than ours. Uh, well, not completely, but about thirty five to 40% of the way of the words they use mean different things than they mean to us. Right. Um, once I begin to unfold it, hope really open it up. Wow. It, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like being born, you know, all over again and going into kindergarten in the first grade and learn how to read and everything was brand new. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a big, it's, it's crazy to think that the more you dive into that stuff, that it's just, it seems like it opens up more and more the more that you dive into it. It's, especially when you get into like looking up the meanings of these words in the old English language mm-hmm. and in the language that it was written in and 
all that, when you start diving deeper into that, it opens up so many more doors to the words that we use would be completely different than what it's saying. Right. You know, in the Old Testament, for example, uh, they would use phrases like, my hand will be toward you or my face will be toward you. We hear that today and we think, well, they're sticking out their hand. Yeah, or, or looking up at the heavens. Or they're looking up at the heavens or they're looking at us face to face. But that's not at all what that means mm-hmm. in our language. You know, what that means, what that should mean, and it's what they meant in the context of how they wrote it, was that it was, you know, their hand being toward you was a sign of loyalty. Extending a hand what meant loyalty. Turning their face toward you meant to look on you favorably. They weren't looking away. They were looking at you. Yeah. So instead of instead of rejecting you, they were accepting you. So, you know, this the this the whole language. You'll never know those things if you don't study. Yeah. Uh, and can't either, and I'll just say it in redneck and knees, as Digger calls it. Uh, can't nobody make you understand it. Mm-hmm. You just got to dig in there till it gets hold of you, and then. Wow. It just a, opens a up. A whole new world, as the <laughs> cartoon says. It's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, studying is is one thing that it's hard to get into, but it's also, you know, you hear all the time that it's hard. I, where do How do I make time? With these times that we're living in, they're so hectic, so wide open. I mean, you wake up, you get ready, you go to work, you come home, and then you cook dinner, and it's time for bed. Like, like where where do you, like people always say where do you make that time to tr- dig into the Bible? Where do they make time to watch The Voice or American Idol or a ball game or you know you coach football? Mm-hmm. You have to make time for that. It's the same exactly. Way. It's the same way with study. You have to make time, and we all have. Even especially us bivocational uh, pastors and preachers, we have to. We're having to do a lot of times the work of full time ministry leaders, plus plus do the full time work of whatever job that we hold in the secular world. Uh, plus, you know, be with our families and make ball games and coach ball games, or you know. So you got to choose. You got to give up something. You you have to you have to make the time. You, yes. It's just not going to appear. You have to exactly. really yeah. set time aside for think, the Bible. You know, in a lot of ways, I think that's why people do better in the winter. I know everybody dreads the winter because they have to stay inside more. I really believe that's when people grow spiritually is in the winter season because mm-hmm. God takes the daylight hours away, and you know forces them inside. They got oh, you know, so it's either watch TV. But if you love the Lord, you're going to want to be in the scripture, you know? Exactly. So you, you don't have a lot of other time to hang out. It's too cold to be outside doing much. You know, uh, deer hunters love it, but that generally happens in the morning. I've heard it all my life. I got a hold of God in the deer stand. Well, I'm afraid of heights. I never got a hold of the Lord in the deer stand. <laughs> Just because I never climbed up in a deer stand. But I have talked to God at the foot of a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked to God on a creek bank. And I'm not saying you can't. 
but you still have to set that time, like that time in the tree stand. You're thinking about it. It's not just yes. a. It just appeared out of nowhere. Yes, that's those are conversation times. Those are not study mm-hmm. times. Yeah, there is a difference uh, in having a relationship with somebody and taking time to learn about somebody. Yeah, you know, um, it, it. I mean, if you're married, okay. Uh, if you don't know, and I've been married 25 years, I could go to a restaurant today and still not pick out what my wife wants to eat. <laughs> and that makes me like every other man on the planet. But I but I guarantee you that I could pick out something that she could eat. Yeah. Because I know what makes her sick. and, and well, she, yeah. It may not be what she's craving at the moment. But, but you could I, pick stuff out. But I could pick stuff out that you know that she that she does eat well why because i have studied her i've watched her i've listened to her i know what hurts her stomach and i know what what turns her stomach and what tastes she doesn't like or what tastes that she likes better you know so i could i could go and pick out something that she would eat would eat or could eat Mm -hmm. it might not be what she wanted very rarely do i pick out what she wants but I can pick out something that she could. Yeah. You know, and I'm pretty standard. She can generally go anywhere and pick out what I would want, you know. Right. Uh, mainly because I'm, if you get something that, I, that I'm that i okay with eating, I want it. It doesn't matter. I, I, I'm not, I don't necessarily have to have, you know, K- Kentucky fried chicken. I don't. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't matter to me if it comes from Foodland or Walmart. If it's chicken, I'm good. You know. Uh, but now, wow, she knows that about me. So like, sometimes I'll come home and she'll just have she'll pick whatever, and I walk in and I don't have any. I don't even have a second thought about it. Right. But I can't do that. I got to call. I got to write it down. Takes it to me so I don't get it wrong. You know, there's, but I know that. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's the same way talking to God. In times that God comes to me and speaks to me, you know, in those moments, sometimes driving down the road, sometimes it's in the booth, you know, at a football stadium or on the sideline or, you know, in a weight room, sometimes on the elliptical machine. Right. Those are re- direct results of time that I spent in his word searching for an answer or searching for a conclusion or an ending and get that. You know, but but that don't always ha it doesn't I need you need to know that it's God, you know, and only God knows, you know, what you're dealing with. Uh I mean, what if I just decided today I'm going to go get something to eat and I walk in and my wife's not interested in any of that. I can't eat that. You know, I'm allergic to that. or I, It's just not what I want. I'm not eating it. Well, then that that's, that's, that's what happens when you don't study, when you don't mm-hmm. ask. You know, that's a direct result of that. So, you know, when I, when God speaks to me, well, I, I truly believe when God speaks to anybody, and you're okay, if you disagree with it, that's okay. Uh, it's certainly not something I'm willing to fall out with somebody over, but I have a hard time believing that God is talking to you about something sporadically. 
that you hadn't been talking to him privately, right. you know, in depth about ahead of time. Uh, intuition, things like that, that's neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. But sometimes the Lord, you know, I have to I have to carve out times of my day, but I have learned to do this when I when I hear the Lord's voice, I stop what I'm doing, I write it down, make a note of it, mark it in my Bible. I know I don't have a lot of time. I go back to it when I do. Yeah, you you take what you can get while you can, and yes. then go back and chew on it. Yes, I mean I, I have to work just like everybody else. So to say I can't do it while I'm at work, if you take a break, if you can't. You know, if if the Lord gives you something, you're going to remember it long enough to go write it down somewhere. Maybe right. you're doing something and you can't write it down right at this moment, but in just in a little bit, jot it down on a piece of paper, stick it in your pocket, and pull it back out when you get home. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's uh, you've got to you have got to make time for God when when God speaks. You've got to listen right then. You can't you can't just say, "Okay, God, you can only talk to me between the hours of two. 2.30 and 4 o'clock every day. That's not how it works. Can't put God on a schedule. No, you cannot. Or in a box. Or in your little way of thinking. You know, we we have we've done that. Mm-hmm. You know, and we kind of allowed that to go on. And we and we allow it to be said and because we, you know, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest. We want people to come to church. We don't want to run them off. But realistically, Austin, can't. I'm not going to tell God, no, you can't talk to me right now. Call me back. I mean, I got a phone call while while you know while we were here, and I hit the little button that says, I'll call you back in a few minutes. You know? mm-hmm. I can't talk right now. Well, that we can't. I have to do other people like that. Uh when we get done, I'll give them a call back. Mm-hmm. But you know, with when God calls, how do you tell the guy who's giving you breath? I'm not going to answer you. You can't do it. You just can't. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you won't get another breath then. Okay, I'll just tell you in person. <laughs> it's like I'll, I'll see you face to face. We'll yeah. we'll get this taken care of. Like you told John the Rebel, come up here. Then I'll tell you. <laughs> you better listen when God speaks. I, you know. That's how you make time for God. You you just that's how I have to do it, and it's not the same. Other people have set aside points in their days. I know guys that get up an extra hour and a half early every morning just to spend time in the Word before they go to work. Exactly. That's a huge commitment that most most people, most human beings, are not willing to make. Because. Uh, I know, at least for me, I can speak for myself. I like my sleep. Yes, most people do. I hate that alarm clock waking me up in the morning. And I would hate to say that I would be waking up in a bad mood, expected to try to dive into the Word. So I I commend people who do that. I'm not saying that that's wrong either. That's a wonderful, if you can do that, that is awesome. Probably, though, through the day, if I'm just being honest, most days probably get more than that. Mm-hmm. Doing it the way I do it, I probably spend more than ninety minutes. Exactly. You know, writing down thoughts. You know, five minutes here, five minutes there, yeah. and then you take your ninety minutes to dig into what God's giving you throughout the day. 
Exactly. You know, a lot of mine comes after everybody else has gone to bed. I, mm-hmm. I do better at night. helps me relax. My mind is kind of slowing down. I'm thinking about, okay, I'm, I'm slowing down. I'm wanting to go to sleep, you know, so I'm reading, I'm studying, and everything else has died. Most of the traffic's died. My phone's not ringing. There's nothing good on television to watch. That's what, that's generally, that's my favorite time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's when I get up, my brain doesn't function as well. When I first wake up, I'm fuzzy and I'm, I'm blurry and I'm, I'm trying to get awake. I, if, if I said, okay, I'm going to climb out of the bed at three thirty, and, and I'd spend the first 45 minutes drinking coffee, trying to, trying to read, <laughs> trying to wake the, up enough to be know. able to study. So yeah, it's better for me to do what I do during the day and then slow down at night, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it just, that works. That's what works for me. It may be different for everybody else. Yeah. I mean, that's what works for you, but if it doesn't work for the people listening, I mean, you've got to, you've still got to make that time, whether it's in the morning, during the middle of the day on your lunch break, you know, you have to take that time and set it aside for study. Some people button their shirts from the top to the bottom. Some people button their shirts from the bottom to the top. Some people start in the middle and go down and then come back to the middle and go up. Everybody has their own method of doing things. What's most efficient for them, whatever benefits you the most, do that. Right. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this this week's episode. But uh, y'all come back and listen on the next episode when I have Brother James back here and we start diving a little bit deeper into some of these more difficult questions that he might have to answer. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening to the When He Speaks podcast. If you want to hear your question get answered, hit us up on Facebook or send us an email at when.he.speaks.podcast at gmail.com.